Good morning, everyone, and everyone, and and welcome once again uh, to New City. If this is your very first time here, we hope you're enjoying. You enjoyed the time of worship, and this was such a beautiful moment together. Um, we are actually in the fourth week of a sermon series titled "Jesus Christ, the Bridegroom Messiah." Now, each of these sermons in this series is an independent sermon. So, even if you've kind of uh, joining here for the first time. What we are about, what you are about to hear, is an independent sermon in itself. So you will be able to kind of uh, track and, and connect with what I'm uh, uh, about to share with us this morning. This sermon series is based on the fact that all through the Bible, God is revealing Himself to us as the Bridegroom Messiah or Lover Savior. He is revealing himself to us as our bridegroom Messiah, because he desires to give himself into an intimate relationship with us. And over the past few weeks, we've been seeing the deep longing to be loved that every one of us is always experiencing. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, I think we would all readily acknowledge. That we are all experiencing a certain dissatisfaction in in being loved. Think about it for a moment. Think about uh, this for just a moment. Have you? Have we ever felt truly and fully loved for a really long period of time? And the honest answer would would be sure. We have some beautiful faces, but we also experience quite frequently. A lot of dissatisfaction in the way we are being loved. Paul, we we feel a little dissatisfied, a little lonely as well, because of the inadequate love that we are receiving. And second, we all also feel uh, at least a little bit, uh, a little wanting, longing for more love because of the imperfect love that we are receiving. Take a moment to reflect on your own childhood. Or even in your in your adult 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 life and in your in your present present uh, life. If you were to look deep inside, we will all uncover scars of past hurts and and more than a little bit of pain somewhere or the other. For some of us, maybe that hurt and that pain is still festering. And the reason we experience so much hurt and so much dissatisfaction. Is that our earthly lovers, be it people or things like careers and finances, are all both inadequate and imperfect. And so, unless we learn to experience the perfect and complete love of Jesus Christ, our Bridegroom Messiah, all the other expressions of love will never truly fall into place. Jesus is the only lover savior. Bridegroom Messiah, who can make us truly happy, and so this sermon series on Jesus Christ, the Bridegroom Messiah, is all about learning to feel loved by this Bridegroom Messiah. This morning, we're going to be taking a fresh and I dare say surprising look at the Ten Commandments.、Uh, even if this is your very first time in a church, I guess you have definitely heard about the Ten Commandments. Allow me to give us a quick background on it. Many years ago, God called the nation of Israel to Himself. He did this because He wanted to reveal His Son Jesus to all the nations and all the peoples through the people of Israel. 
And in the very, very early years of Israel being called by God to be a nation for himself, God raised a leader named Moses. And he called Moses and all the people of Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Now, if this is your very first time in a church and you've never heard anything about this, and even if you've never heard of the Ten Commandments, though I think that's very unlikely, but even if you've never heard about the Ten Commandments, I'm willing to bet that you can intuitively guess what the essence of the Ten Commandments will be. The Ten Commandments, we think, and we can intuitively uh, figure out, is a set of rules or laws or guidelines that God gave to us as his people. If we obey these laws, God will bless us. If we don't obey these laws, God will punish us or at the very least, stop blessing us. And that's a broad theology. It doesn't matter whether we are, we are Christians or Hindus or Sikhs or Jains. We, are all, we all have the same basic theology about God. And it is this theology and it is this understanding that I'm hoping to deconstruct this morning. So all that said, allow me to read the passage from the Bible that we're going to be exploring together this morning. I'm reading from a book called Jeremiah. I'm reading from chapters 31, verses 31 to 33. Jeremiah was a prophet or a messenger of God. He lived roughly 650 years before Jesus Christ was born. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 33. The verses will come up for us on the screen. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is God's word. And I'm sure you're wondering what this passage has to do with the Ten Commandments because that's what we, we kind of said that the sermon is all about. And so please bear with me for a few minutes, but I'm going to show for us that this passage is leading us to the very heart and the very essence of the Ten Commandments. In fact, the big idea of this sermon is that if we do not understand this passage well, we will never be able to make complete sense, completely understand the Ten Commandments. And this passage is key to truly understanding the Ten Commandments. And so I'd like to draw three things for us from this passage. First, the essence of covenants. Second, I'm going to help us take a fresh look at the old covenant, and I'm hoping to lead us into a fresh enjoyment of the new covenant. Three things, the essence of covenants, a fresh look at the old covenant, and a fresh enjoyment of the new covenant. Let's move into the first thing, the essence of covenants. I'm willing to bet none of you have ever used the word covenant in the last three years in your life. It's not a common word. It's not a word we use uh, in our everyday, everyday life. And so it helps to take a little bit of time to just unpack the meaning of this word covenant. 
I guess in our, in our uh, vocabulary, the most common word uh, that we have that with which we can describe this word covenant is the word contract or agreement. Now, while both uh, a covenant and a contract are in fact agreements between two people, there is a significant difference between a contract and a covenant. See, uh, uh, the essence of a contract is a task. Two people, when they sign a contract, they agree to certain, fulfill certain conditions to each other. They agree to fulfill a certain task for each other. For example, if you get into a rental contract, the landlord agrees to give the home and the tenant agrees to pay the rent. So that's all about doing a task. The essence of a covenant, though, is not a task, but a relationship. When two people make a covenant, they agree to walk on a journey of relationship together. And so the essence of a covenant is the relationship between the two people and not the tasks they do. And so marriage is not a contract, contract, but a covenant. Because two people don't get married to fulfill tasks for each other. Two people get married to walk together in relationship with one another. And so when God says covenant in this passage, in this passage we read, talks about the old covenant and the new covenant. When God says the word covenant, it means a relationship. A covenant is a promise to be committed in a relationship. That's the first thing I wanted to draw, draw out for us from this passage. The essence of covenants. And that brings us to the second thing I'd like to draw us, out for us from the passage. A fresh look at the old covenant. Look at verse 32 that we just read from the passage. It will not be like the covenant, which means relationship. God is speaking here. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them. And from this verse, I want to draw two ways in which this passage describes the old covenant. First, this passage tells us that the old covenant between God and his people is actually a marriage between God and his people. God is the bridegroom and the people of Israel are his bride. Where do I get that from? I got that from the last part of this verse that's actually underlined for us, the last part. They broke my covenant though I was a husband to them. So God is describing this covenant relationship as a marriage relationship between him and his people. The second thing I'd like to draw our attention to is this. If God is their husband, as he says in this passage, if God is their husband, when did the marriage or betrothal happen between God and his people? When did that marriage happen? And that answer too is there in the very passage that we are looking at. And that's the underlined portion, if you can go back to the previous slide, the underlined portion in the first part of this verse. The covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. God's saying the first covenant, this covenant of marriage, the ceremony of marriage between me and his, uh, my people, God is saying, happened when he led the people out of Israel. God is saying the covenant is formed when he led Israel by hand out of Egypt. 
Let's recount those events. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are familiar with this. If this is your first time in a church, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you up to speed. These events are described for us in a book called Exodus uh, in the Bible, where the description of how God led his people out of Egypt is given for us. We see in Exodus chapter 19 verse 1, that on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, God called Moses and all the people of Israel and initiated his covenant ceremony that culminated in the giving of the Ten Commandments. Do you realize the full impact of import of what I just said? God called Moses to Mount Sinai, Moses and all the people of Israel, and initiated the covenant ceremony that culminated in the giving of the Ten Commandments. I showed us from the passage that God giving the Ten Commandments to His people was His betrothal or was His marriage ceremony with Israel. Have you ever thought of the Ten Commandments, of the giving of Ten Commandments in Mount Sinai as a wedding ceremony between God, the bridegroom, and all of us, and Israel, his bride. This is exactly what God is sharing, telling us from this passage. Even the earlier chapter, if you look at Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, this is what God says. Israel followed him as a bride in the wilderness from Egypt to Mount Sinai. So when God is saying that when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt through the wilderness, God is saying in Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he was bringing his bride from Egypt. And he brought his bride to Mount Sinai, where he gave them the Ten Commandments, and that giving of the Ten Commandments was actually the wedding ceremony that sealed the relationship between God and his people. God the bridegroom and his people the bride. It's not just Jeremiah an Old Testament prophet who looks back, who looked back at Mount Sinai and called that the betrothal or the wedding between God and his people. We see that, I'm not going to get into those passages, but allow me to give you the quick references. Hosea chapter 2 verses 14 to 16 talks about this. Ezekiel chapter 16 talks about this. Isaiah chapter 4 talks about this. Most of the Old Testament prophets look back at God bringing his people out of Egypt into Israel and, the, and giving off the Ten Commandments as the marriage ceremony between God and his people. That's what happened at Mount Sinai as God gave the Ten Commandments. Brandt Pitt, uh, who's an author, he captures this beautifully in his book. He says, behind the history of the covenant at Mount Sinai lies a mystery. From the prophet's point of view, what happened at Mount Sinai was not just a giving of a set of laws, but what happened in Mount Sinai was a spiritual wedding of God and Israel. From this perspective, the Lord is Lord of Israel is not only the Lord of Israel is not only the God of creation, he is also the bridegroom. And so the giving of the Ten Commandments in Mount Sinai was the wedding ceremony between God and his people. God was the bridegroom and Israel was his bride. Wow, have we thought of this like this? We just need to pause here for a quick minute and make two connections. So far in the series, we've been unpacking the truth that Jesus Christ is our bridegroom Messiah. And we've been doing this mostly from the New Testament, mainly from the book of John. 
our understanding of Jesus, our bridegroom Messiah, is also mostly from a New Testament framework. But what we are beginning to see, and what we are beginning to see here today, is that God as our bridegroom is not just a New Testament idea, it's not just a New Testament paradigm, it's not just a New Testament relationship after Jesus came forth, but this passage and everything we've seen is helping us see that God as a bridegroom is an idea or a truth and a reality from the very beginning. God has always been our bridegroom Messiah or our lover savior. The second connection I'd like to draw for us goes back to what I initially said about the Ten Commandments. I said that we all intuitively and instinctively see the Ten Commandments as a set of rules and laws and guidelines that God gave to His people. If we obey these laws, God will bless us. If we don't obey these laws, God will punish us or at the very least stop blessing us. And that's how traditionally we viewed the Ten Commandments. But right now, in the light of seeing the Ten Commandments, the giving of the Ten Commandments in Mount Sinai as a wedding ceremony, I have to call us to see the Ten Commandments as a manual of love between God the Bridegroom and Israel His Bride. I have to call us to see the Ten Commandments, I have to call us to see that the Ten Commandments is not a set of heartless rules, but on the contrary, it's a passionate manual of love between God, the bridegroom, and all of us, his bride. Let that sink in for a moment. And that's the fresh look at the old covenant that I wanted to present for us this morning. Before we move ahead, move into the next thing that I want to draw for us from this passage, uh, let me just first unpack what it means practically, functionally, what it means to see the Ten Commandments as a passionate manual of love and not as a mere set of rules. I'm guessing that in our formative years as Christians, uh, perhaps even from our childhood, we've all seen the Ten Commandments more as a rigid set of rules than as a romantic expression of God's love for us. So I think it'll help us to take a fresh look at the Ten Commandments. Uh, for those of us who may not be familiar, I'm going to read a quick summary of the Ten Commandments, all the Ten Commandments quickly. The first one, God says, you shall have no gods before me. Second, he says, you shall not make an image of God in the form of anything. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Fourth one, remember the Sabbath. Work six days and rest on the seventh day. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. Commandment seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not give false testimony. Ten, you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. And if you find all of these Ten Commandments hard to remember, Jesus really simplified it for us in two simple commandments. And this is what Jesus said. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Do you see how Jesus is kind of helping us see that what we have wrongly seen as a set of rules, do you see how Jesus is turning that into a passionate manual of love between God, the bridegroom, and all of us, his bride? Love God, love people, 
That's the very essence of the Ten Commandments. And the first, loving God, empowers us as the second, to do the second. And we often overlook the extraordinary emphasis on love in the Ten Commandments. We overlook the emphasis of God's love for us in the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments, in the light of everything that we've seen, is the infinite, uncontainable, indescribable, unattainable, and eternal agape love of God expressed through the comprehensive, comprehensible human covenant of marriage. So the Ten Commandments is God's infinite love expressed for us in a way we can understand through the human covenant of marriage. This is all about love. God, the perfect bridegroom, calling us and leading us and imperfect people into covenantal love with Him. With him. Let me show this a little bit more clearly for us. Look at the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath, work six days and rest on the seventh day. Should we see this, the command of the Sabbath, as a, a meaningless religious rule? Or should we see the command of the Sabbath as the bridegroom Messiah lovingly calling us his bride to the joyful discip discipline of a weekly date with our lover, Savior? That's what the Sabbath is. That doesn't make work bad, but God is saying, I want to enjoy you. I want you to enjoy me. Would you come? Would you set aside everything? Would you forget everything? And would you come to me one day a week so we can enjoy one another? The call of the Sabbath is a call to enjoy a weekly date with God. Listen, folks. Right now, we are all enjoying a date with our lover savior that's what's happening this sunday that's what happens every sunday all of us are enjoying our bridegroom messiah christ jesus together on this weekly date with him if this is your first time in a in a, in a church or maybe if stephen and richie have um, uh, invited you welcome to a blind date Welcome to a blind date. And that's what, that's what you've, uh, uh, you, you, you've come to. A blind date and I hopefully a beautiful surprise date for you uh, as well. Are you enjoying this date? I hope you enjoyed the time of uh, singing music and worship. And I hope you enjoyed the time of prayer. And I'm hoping you're enjoying this talk a little bit at least. So the commandment of the Sabbath is our weekly date with God. You see... The heart of love in these commandments. Or second, look at the second commandment. You shall not bow down uh, to them, the images we make with our hands, or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Can God be jealous? Can God be jealous? We generally see jealousy as a bad character, almost as a sin. In, in many circumstances, it is. But hang on a minute. Imagine a husband and a wife, because we're talking about the husband and wife relationship between God and us. Jesus Christ, our bridegroom Messiah, God, our bridegroom Messiah, and us, his bride. So in a marriage relationship, is it really okay for a husband not to feel jealous if his bride is having 
an affair with another man. Or in the confused world we live in, is it really okay for a husband not to feel jealous if his bride is having an affair with another woman? Jealousy in a marriage relationship is, is not sinful. It's, it's a holy expression. And in this case, when God says, I love you with a jealous love, he is speaking as a bridegroom messiah, desiring his wife, his bride, all of us. And this agape and, and figuratively romantic jealousy, God the bridegroom feels for us as bride, is a beautiful expression of his holiness. And so the very essence of the Ten Commandments is this beautiful love between God, the bridegroom, that he has for us, his bride. And that brings us to the third and the last thing I'd like to draw for us from this passage. And that's a fresh enjoyment of the new covenant. Look at verse 33 from the passage. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I don't want us to miss the significant connection between this verse in Jeremiah and what's happening, uh, what had happened at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, God had himself written down the Ten Commandments in a tablet of, of stone. We see that in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, another book in the Old Testament. We've talked about that. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave them two tablets of the covenant law. The tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. God had written down the Ten Commandments with his own fingers on the tablets of stone. So in Exodus, at the inauguration of the Old Covenant, at the inauguration of this wedding ceremony between God and his people, God wrote the Ten Commandments with his fingers on tablets of stone. But here in Jeremiah, in this verse, God is promising a new covenant, a new marriage, a fresh marriage, because Israel had messed up. They had committed adultery. They'd gone away from God. And rather than reject them, God is calling them once again into this new covenant. And he says in the new covenant, he will write his law in our hearts. In the first covenant, God wrote the law in stone. And in the second covenant, he will write it in our hearts. And the question I want to close with this morning is how... Did God write his laws? How did God write his holiness in our hearts? How did God birth in our hearts a desire for his holiness? How is God birthing in our hearts a desire to leave behind our wickedness, to leave behind our failings and desire to be more like Jesus? And the way he did it for us and that's what we've been singing through through most of our time of worship. The way he wrote his law in our hearts is by inviting us to see his son Christ Jesus dying on the cross in our place. And the way he's writing his law in our hearts is by inviting us to see and be moved by God laying for us 
as a sacrifice to bear the punishment for all of our sins, His beloved Son, Christ Jesus. It is in this act of great love, it is in this act of great sacrifice of giving His Son to die on the cross for our sins. And as we see Christ Jesus being punished on the cross for all of your sins and mine, big sins and small, known sins and unknown, intentional sins and unintentional sins, in seeing all the punishment for all of these sins being heaped on Christ, it is in this, it is as we are forgiven, even though we are completely undeserving of this forgiveness, it is in this that our hearts learn to forsake our wrong ways. And it is in this that our hearts learn to see the love of Jesus. And it is in this the law of God is written in our hearts. So from the Ten Commandments to Christ Jesus laying His life down for us on the cross, the one message is God's love for us. Allow me to close in, in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've been revealing yourself to us as, your, as our bridegroom, Messiah. And, and you've been calling us, Lord. You've been calling us and you've been uh, calling us to come and learn to be loved by God, to have a longing for God, longing for love be fulfilled in God and in his son, Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray this morning, would you lead us deeper into this love? Would you lead us into a deeper experience of this love and enable us to experience Christ Jesus as our bridegroom Messiah and as our lover Savior? Thank you, Father. We worship you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.